Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we are going to get to know Jess from Descent Games. She's got an upcoming Kickstarter, and we talk about a lot of fun things. First, a little bit of business. The second episode of our bonus episode series, Bunkers and Badasses, came out on Wednesday. Those will be out every Wednesday for a couple more weeks. And they are a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody, for the positive reception. That's really all the business I have. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Jess. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Good. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> now we pretend like we don't didn't have any pre-banter or anything of like course. that. <laughs> nothing. Zip. Yeah. <laughs> So usually I like to start with what got you into board games. Are you a big board mm-hmm. gamer or yeah. just a designer? <laughs> um, oh, am I a big board gamer? Uh, yes, I am a big board gamer, though I'm not that keen on big board games, to be honest. You know, I'm a small board gamer and a card gamer more than anything else. Mm. Yeah, you tend to find some of the, uh, you know, you tend to find games which play in less than an hour you know, on my shelves. That's a good time frame. Yeah, it's a good time frame. But to be honest, the ones I love best are the ones which are which are the, you know, the shorter card games. You know, I'm thinking about the things that I play most often, and I think actually Lost Cities is probably the game we play most often. Lost Cities or Seven Wonders Duel. And Ooh. that's just because they are well, you know, Lost Cities is quicker than Seven Wonders, but they're both two-player games which are fairly straightforward, quite easy. You know, I love them both. Yeah. Yeah, I got Seven Wonders Duel not too long ago, and it's quickly become one of my favorite two-player games. Yeah, it's very useful, especially over this last pandemic, when (laughs) there is really only one person I can play most games with. (laughs) and who is this other person (laughs) so my husband and i play games on a fairly regular basis he is better at strategy than i am uh he's definitely (laughs) a longer thinker i think i'm better at balancing a game so actually seven wonders then we're relatively evenly matched because he tends to want to go off in one direction but i'm quite good at keeping the whole thing balanced which is mm. one of the things that Seven Wonders Jewel does ask for. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm guessing you win that one a little more? Slightly more. Yes, oh. we looked back at the uh, the stats for that, and it is that I win slightly more. Um, the th- there are a few things where we really shouldn't play together. Um, so you know Quirkle. Yeah. Yeah. When we play Quirkle together, we frequently end up with something that basically just looks like three big squares (laughs) because we both really like the picture and the image. You know, we shouldn't play Carcassonne together either because we end up, you know, throwing away points for ourselves because something would just look so right in that space. (laughs) You should give yourself bonus points for like making it. Uh, aesthetically pleasing yes yeah exactly (laughs) we really should because we're quite good at that yeah that's great i like that i'm like ocd so i i feel that need every once in a while yeah just to make it look really good um so i do like a good tile placing game and i do like something where you end up with a board that looks really good yeah so is your husband really, really into board games too then? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, so we've been to some of the you know, conventions together, not mm-hmm. recently because we have small children and that's a little bit hard. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, the thing we've been playing most, we've been playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Oh, nice. And we've played this with some neighbors of ours. But of course... We haven't actually met the neighbors of ours, you know, very much recently. So we bought this board game about a year and a quarter ago, just before, you know, the pandemic hit. (laughs) And 
we have been playing the whole thing over Zoom. Oh, and wow. they had the game. They were WhatsApping us the uh, the cards, you know, pictures of cards. So they had the game. We were playing it over Zoom. You know, we had all these notes. You know, you know, we were you know, we were writing down. Okay, you know, these cards are coming up next. Okay, right. You know, what's come out so far? Okay, we should go there. We should do this, etc. Um, we played the entire thing with me never physically seeing the board. You know, they brought Whoa. it round recently. They brought it round recently, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's so good!" <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting to play an entire legacy game without ever having touched the pieces. Yeah, it's almost like a tabletop RPG experience at that point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's wild! So, have you played like season one or season zero? Yeah, we played season one. We haven't played season zero. Uh, that's yeah, that's next on the list at some point, uh, which yeah. I think I'll really like because it's uh, because they say it's uh, there's a slightly spy vibe in it, yeah. which I think you know, which really appeals to me. Um, certainly, when I was growing up, then games like Cluedo, uh, Clue to you, you know, were more, <laughs> you know, that was one of my favorite games. You know, so that kind of creeping around, trying to find something out. Yeah, that yeah. So I'm feeling that I'm going to enjoy that. Yeah. But hey, let's see. Let's see. I, I I'm with you. I'm hoping to bust it out this weekend because we're going away to a cabin and we have Ooh. no electric or we have electricity, but no yeah. internet uh-huh. or no cell service, and so it's like we just play board games and read books. So are you going to get through an entire an entire legacy game there in the cabin that weekend? Yeah, that's what we did with the other two, pretty much. Ooh. Both I mean, seasons because, we played in like two nights. Yeah, because that's going to be somewhere between, you know, that's going to be about 15 games, right? Yeah, right, yeah, somewhere yeah. in there if you count in a couple losses, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to have a few losses. I'm, you know, sometimes <laughs> you only have, you know, one or two, sometimes you have, you know, five or whatever, you know, but it's going to be, what, 14, 15 games. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Now, that is hardcore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's one of the only games that my wife gets like super duper into. She's not a big gamer. So, yeah, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what got you into board games originally? It was probably Carcassonne, to be honest. Oh, wow. So, um, so I used to play a lot of card games with my family. Um, you know, I'd spend, you know, I'd spend weekends with my dad and we would play a lot of rummy. And sometimes we'd play things like whist, you know, but it was mainly rummy. We used to play uh, rummy 500 where you keep going and you have no hand limit and you basically, you know, you play multiple games mm-hmm. and, you know, I really enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, you know, various forms of poker, um, you know, really enjoy Never liked playing for money. In fact, you know, the reason I probably didn't go down a real card gaming line was because I just don't like the gambling that comes into it. You know, as soon as there's money involved, it doesn't feel that much like a game anymore. Um, but I really liked playing poker for jelly beans. You know, that's great fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely get that. Yeah. So, you know, so I come from, you know, from more of a card gaming type direction. And then, you know, I'm thinking about university, you know, uh, you know, this is 15 years ago or so, you know, we had various copies of Carcassonne, you know, we had the Princess and the Dragon one, I think as well, you know, the little expansion and you know the one where you got to put a pig in the field we had that one as well (laughs) you know so we'd play that and that would be a kind of you know a gentle evening you know some of my friends and I and you know a bottle of wine um you know some something to make us feel sophisticated I think you know we normally had some cheese (laughs) you know this is university you're trying to you know you're trying to be grown up <laughs> this you know, is very <laughs> opposite of our, you know, American college where it's like party, beer, kegs. <laughs> well, you know, there were also nights which were, you know, beer and pizza and late night kebabs. Ah, <laughs> oh, the late night kebabs. Oh, in fact, the pizza that had kebab on it, there was at least one what? shop that did pizza with kebab on it. That sounds that was, incredible. 
uh, yeah, and the, you know, the special sauce, and you're like, this is, you know, this is a thousand calories right here in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Worth um, it. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think you know, we played a lot of lots of Carcassonne in those days. And then I remember probably the biggest board game that I got then that was a proper, proper board game. We somehow made a jump from Carcassonne to... Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, so I remember, in fact, getting nine people round in a tiny flat, you know, nine people round, um, one of my friends uh, doing a PowerPoint presentation at the beginning of how to play the game. <laughs> and we had, you know, we had the expansions out. And it was just a really, really fun day. So That sounds incredible. I haven't played that, but that's like... One of the games where I don't think I can even find it to buy at a reasonable price anymore. But if I could find somebody who has it, then they're going to be my best friend so we can play it. (laughs) It is one of the regrets of my life that my ex took that game. (gasps) Oh, no. I was, you know, by that point, I was like, oh, I've played it a fair amount. I'm not that bothered about it anymore. Uh, you know, give me the various copies of Carcassonne with the little princesses, and you know. but no, I'm, yeah, so I'm a bit sad about that now. Oh, <sighs> never mind. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> it a, is. <laughs> that's all right. You ended up with a better guy, right? Exactly. Plus, <laughs> he brought his copies of Hero Quest, so. Oh, hey. <laughs> so, yes. Your, your husband did? Yes, yes. Oh, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. what mm-hmm. transitioned you from playing games to designing games? So, I still think of myself as not so much of a game designer, um, but more of a political activist, because, you know, that's what my, you know, my real job is, essentially. Um, so, I chair a UK pressure group, which works towards a constitution. Uh, We do not have a written constitution here in the UK. It's rather ridiculous. Um, (laughs) uh, Plus, you know, we're busy importing all sorts of terrible forms of democracy. We've just had a Queen's speech the other day, which is where the government sets out their legislation, you know, talking about voter ID and all sorts of things like that, which we really do not want to have. And we're moving away from, you know, we're moving away from some of the uh, the better voting systems towards first past the post. Anyway, you know, rant over. that's kind of you know that's where I come from and that's what I do and a couple of years ago I had the opportunity to to go freelance uh for uh, from my job you know so I did that and that was a yeah that was when I was like okay you know I'm gonna be you know moving into a different part of my life you know I might have a little bit more time to do things why don't I design a board game and the game I really wanted to design was around uh, this experience that a couple of my friends had had. So they had uh, they had taken some direct action, and they had broken into a military base uh, to to well, I mean, mainly to protest. You know, they they were intending. Uh, to destroy the warplanes, you know, of course, you know, they never got anywhere near them, you know, because they got caught and arrested, you know, the whole, the, uh, the whole <laughs> point of it, you know, was that they were going to be put on trial and they were, and they were acquitted because, you know, because they said, yes, we did it, but you know, our consciences, etc. you know, these planes are carrying weapons of mass destruction. Um, so anyway, you know, it was a big trial, you know, really, you know, really thrilling, but I thought, Ooh, Okay, the yeah you know, the things they're saying about you know what they're doing. Let's make a game about that. So I did a Kickstarter a couple of years ago uh, called Disarm the Base, uh, which was a successful Kickstarter. Uh, sold five hundred copies of that, and uh, the game comes with a disclaimer at the front saying, "Don't do this." <laughs> Um, well, don't do this unless you have lawyers present, you know, unless you know what you're doing. You know, direct action is a form of testing the boundaries of protest. Uh, but yeah, you know, don't do it because a game tells you to do it. It's a really bad idea. Yeah. But here's a game about <laughs> somebody doing it. 
Um, so yeah, really interesting and a fascinating experience to you know to make something. You know, this is a cooperative game. You know, you're trying to get into the base. Uh, you know, you've uh, you've got some bolt cutters. You've got codes to the hangars. You're trying to you know work out which hangars the planes are in. You're trying to avoid the security guards. Of course, there are floodlights that come on, and you know, supposing you're in the wrong area at the wrong time, you could be lit up and exposed. So yeah, it was absolutely fascinating to do that, and the process really you know gave me the bug for it. So I thought, right. Okay, you know what am I going to do next? Um, so next, I have uh, well, next I kind of have two things on the go. There's a small thing I'm doing, which is that during May and June, uh, then there's a game jam I'm hoping to do, where I have, I think I have five people from the activist world who have who have volunteered some themes and I'm going to ask people to make a very, very small game about those themes. Uh, something on a postcard, literally, mm. you know, it could be a postcard game or a mint tin game or something, which is, you know, a 20 or 18 card game, you know, something really, really small like that. Um, so I know someone submitted something about peacemaking. Someone else has submitted about voter ID, uh, Someone else, I think, has submitted something about inclusion in uh, for, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, various types of social inclusion. So those could all be very interesting. So that's happening sort of mid-May. Yeah, mid-May to mid-June. But the other thing I'm working on, so a group of us are working together to do a game set in a library. And... This is a game where you're in a library and these fictional literary horrors have come out of the book. You know, imagine you're like a book group or something. You know, you're the last people out of the library. Someone picks up a small book and goes, oh, hey, what's this? Starts reading it. Lo and behold, it's some sort of cursed spell book or something. Library shuts down. Things start coming out of the books. You've got Dracula over there. You've got Triffids over there. Martian robots in the corner. <laughs> you know, various things like that. You know, a basilisk behind you. You need to to build a team. You know, you need to be helped by uh, some of the characters from the book. So, uh, so you kind of need to say, okay, right. Who can we find? Okay, we've got Mount Doom over there. Okay, let's pick up this book. Oh, we've got Ada Lovelace. And here we've got Heidi. And here we've got Mina Harker. Okay, if the three of you get together, can you go and put Mount Doom back in its book? Okay, smash. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's a kind of, you know, so it's a movement across modular boards, cooperative game. Um, it's it's kind of a bit of a dungeon crawler but not really you don't have any dice you know you've got uh, you've got cards you're matching the skills that those character cards you know the books you're picking up you're matching the skills that they have to um the literary horrors that have come out of the books um you've got a set amount of time in which you have to do this you know there's a clock that's ticking down uh, towards midnight. I mean, this is clearly a library in rural England because it starts closing at about two in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can't quite work out how we're going to do that. I think we're just going to have it closing at two in the afternoon. Otherwise, there aren't enough turns. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. It's a Saturday. It's a holiday. It's a, I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a Saturday. It's a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, so we're working on that. And you know, we're hoping to have that come out to kickstarter later this summer we're probably less advanced with it than many people would be because we're just a group of people trying to put a game together you know we don't have a big publishing company behind us and i know that a lot of things on kickstarter are absolutely perfectly brilliantly play tested and the artwork's all done you know we're kind of coming out saying um we do know what we're doing, honest, and here's a run through and, you know, but you know, we don't have the artwork for this and we don't have the artwork for that. You know, we've got this. So, so yeah, hopefully we're going to come out with that this summer, but let's see whether we decide to put it off a little bit instead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the pictures on Twitter that I've seen and the website, I think 
look really impressive. It looks cool. Looking ready. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the, so the actual characters are done by my friend Sam, who is brilliant. You know, Sam is great at this. You know, she's been doing a whole load of characters there. And she can actually draw. The, oh, nice. the floor plans, uh, the floor plans and the backs of the cards and things are done by me. And I got an Apple Pencil uh, in January. <laughs> so it's uh, it's very much the other. I've kind of been teaching myself how to draw through this. Oh, that's awesome. It's really interesting because, because I haven't drawn properly for years. You know, and I've done, you know, little line drawings and things. But doing it on an iPad is a really different experience. You can rub things out really easily. Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. You know, you can do layers and there are so many exciting things I've learned how to do. And I'm like, you cannot do this in real life. You can do th- <laughs> <laughs> you can do a thing where you get it, where you only draw on a little bit of and you get it to mirror what you're drawing uh, seven times around the page. It's great. Whoa. Oh, it's brilliant. So many cool features. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the... T- I'm really impressed. You know, I'm looking at the tiles right now. I've got it pulled up and I'm just like, that looks like a legit, very easy to understand tile. Mm. Like, yeah, it's and they're pretty like, <laughs> bravo. Great job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. It's something that the more drawing I do, the more I'm, you know, getting back into it and thinking, actually, this is really fun. Maybe I'll become a board game artist instead of a board game designer. (laughs) (laughs) You can do both. Yeah. Well, something I've been looking at is, you know, when you've got really small games, you know, I've been thinking about some of these things like postcards or something that actually, you know, you can just have a really tiny package and you can do the whole thing yourself. Yeah. That does mean that you don't... There's a pro there, I suppose, that you that you get to have exactly the vision that you want for that. I mean, I suppose the con would be that you don't get the constructive criticism that somebody else brings. You know, when you're working together with someone, you've actually got to justify why you're doing things. You can't be lazy about it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm never lazy when I design games, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there are so many things where I think, oh, yes, it's it's clearly that. And then someone goes, yeah, but why is it that? What do you, you know, why are you doing that? Why is it mm-hmm. that way and not that way? And I think, um, well, uh, no one's asked me why that way before. <laughs> is there another way? <laughs> which you you know which you get less of when you're working with someone else you know you have to you know when you can keep the pulling back and forth to a sensible level you know which i think most people can then it's you know then it's really good because you get that constructive criticism on tap you know you get that real okay how does this feed into this you get those those little challenges which yeah. are actually really useful and you don't have to wait for playtesting, and then you playtest, and it's like, this game is broken. <laughs> okay, wish I knew that 10 months ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've... So it, it's definitely useful to playtest with other designers. Um, so we've done various types of playtesting, and we've playtested with people who are already invested and who like the idea, and... They tend to be really interested in making sure that the theme fits. Whereas when you play test with other designers, they are really all about the mechanics. Or yeah. most of them are. You know, they do like the theme and they like the idea, but they're more about, okay, well, why does it count down in that way? And why do you only have this? Um, so, yeah, you need to, uh, 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 yes, you need to play test with some robust people. <laughs> yeah makes a lot of sense uh I, so i'm i'm looking at this is it a one to five player game yes so uh uh we've 
So we think it actually works best with three players at the moment because I tend to play test it best, you know, most with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of, you know, doing the balancing of the cards. Um, it, it will definitely work very well as a solo game. Oh, nice. Right now, we're trying to work out which cards, you know, uh, uh, well, we're trying to work out whether we have a slightly smaller deck for solo because because at the moment it's got quite a large number of cards and of course the larger the number of cards the 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 less um the more chance and the less strategy there is hmm. that does make a lot of sense yeah i see you have a hundred character cards we are very much hoping to have a hundred character cards yes oh, okay uh, <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> <The> yeah <goal. laughs> that's the goal i mean <laughs> We're actually trying to work out whether we should have that many or not, because we were always saying, yes, we're going to have 100 characters. And then when we were doing it recently, we were saying, well, hang on, we're actually, we're not getting through very many of these characters. You know, we're getting to the end of the game and we've used 30 of these characters why are we having a hundred? You know, you know, why are we having a hundred if we've only used thirty of the books? Uh-huh. Um, but then we realised that actually it might be better to to tweak something, which was actually a, a fairly minor tweak, but had uh, some long-reaching consequences, which was around whether you could use each card once or whether you could use it twice. We'd previously mm. been using it twice, but then we said, "Hang on." Well, what if you can only use each card once? Because then in order to keep cards in your hand, you had to keep picking them up, um, which means you get through far more books. But it's all about, you know, how does it cycle back in? Because we quite liked the idea that once you'd used a book, then it was quite easy to get that book again, rather than having to, you know, to go and get a different book from the shelf. So it's all about trying to balance it. So I reckon we're going to have a, a a library trolley, you know, like a library cart. Um, you know, whether it's an actual thing that follows you around or whether it's just a space on the board, but then you can put all your books in there. But then we've done that recently and we found that we've now got, you know, at the end of the game, we've got 50 books in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. That's pretty smart. Yeah, it's smart. cool. But you don't want everybody to be sort of, searching through because there are a couple of cards that let you search through the library trolley of books you've already used to find one again but i can just imagine someone sitting there going no i'm gonna find the perfect card hang on (laughs) i'm just searching through them all yeah (laughs) which might take a while and might actually lead to more analysis paralysis that's true yeah but they may be thinking of a specific, I think more often than not, they may think of a card and be like, oh, you know what? There's this card, you know, there's yeah. Ava Loveless. I want to go get her. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, it's probably one of those things where you need to know the game. Because I know that with some of those games that have quite a lot of options, Something like uh, Caverna, for example. You know, Caverna's got about a million things you can do in a million little rooms you can put in your little dwarf house. Uh And uh, it's one of those things that you kind of, they recommend that you go and look at everything first, you know, before you play the game, just look at every card. (laughs) (laughs) You know, look at every tile, because otherwise you'll be sat there through the whole game going, ooh, do I want the beer cabin or the food cabin or the yeah. animal cave there's a cuddles cave i think as well in there oh <laughs> not played caverna for a while actually i've never played it so i, I don't know <laughs> you have little dwarves you have little dwarves and they have a house and you know you go and mine rubies oh okay it's very nice nice yeah cuddle cave keeps it family friendly well, yeah, exactly. You know, the cuddle <laughs> cave, I think, is where you store your animals as well, because oh. you get points on the number of animals you, yeah. This is one of those games with about a million components. Um, wow. Yeah. I'll have to check it, it out. I don't know that I've ever really looked at it. It's similar to Agricola. So Which I've seen a little bit yeah. of. <laughs> so it's one of those sort of classic Euro farming. Oh, okay. know, various things and 
you can grow, you know, you can grow pumpkins or you can grow uh, wheat and you can farm pigs and cows and donkeys and sheep and you can put fences up and you can, you know, you can mine things. You can do all sorts of things. And I always go and be fighting dwarf. You know, you can go on adventures <laughs> and discover things, <laughs> which just sounds slightly strange. You know, here you are, you've got an adventure and you've come back with a pumpkin, a donkey and a ruby. What happened to you there? <laughs> what went on? <laughs> what kind of adventure is that? <laughs> well, sometimes you come back with new knowledge, like the ability to breed two types of animal. And you're like, oh. hmm. That's an interesting adventure. Yeah. And how did you... You know what? Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. tell me. <laughs> oh, precisely. <laughs> kind of jumping back to uh, your to li- library labyrinth. Library labyrinth, yes. <laughs> I love alliteration. So <laughs> kudos there. But your one of the main ideas behind it was to do female and non-binary mm-hmm. characters, right? That's right. Yes. So the characters that come out of the books will all be female or non-binary. I think at the moment, you know, so looking at our list, we would like some more suggestions for non-binary characters, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly fictional ones. So uh, we have in there the public universal friend who's a Quaker from the United States uh, a couple of hundred years ago. I should know more about this because I'm also a Quaker, so it's oh. you know so so it's part of my you know my history there. Um, we have a couple of historic trans women in there, but we are we are slightly bound by the fictional characters we can put in there because they need to be ones who are who no longer have copyright. Yeah, which basically means seventy years since the author died. Um, so we're looking at things which were written, I mean, about 1940 is generally the latest, 1930s. Um, <laughs> so non-binary is a little difficult. <laughs> well, you know, Virginia Woolf has a couple of suggestions there. But even so, it's, yeah, it can be quite interesting. Huh. Um, looking at historic figures can be uh, much more fruitful. I mean, looking across the spectrum of history, there have been just so many really interesting people. You know, you think, you know, there are, you know, there are some real historic leaders who are particularly around the Mediterranean and Mesopotamia who are from, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's just, you know, the, you know, the really interesting things that people did. There's also a, quite a literary, so the literary tradition um, there's a lot of written literature from Europe. Um, there's a lot from China and a lot from Japan. Uh, so one of the members of our team, she's British Chinese. So she's been telling us, you know, the right way to write all of these names and the right way to pronounce them. And we're like, okay, right. <laughs> so we shouldn't be talking about Ching Shi. We should be talking about Cheng Rat Sao, because that's what she would have called herself, you know, and oh. things like that, where it's like, you know, there are things where you go and you just look it up and you think, okay, right, you know, that would be it. But having someone on the team who can say, this is what it really should be, that's invaluable. So we're getting some cultural consultants uh, for quite a lot of these characters because we need to have that, you know, first-hand experience. We need to make sure that we're actually, you know, that we're treating the characters respectfully and we're treating them right. Not making them up does help. You know, it does help that these are actually real people or they're literary characters that you can go and you can look up in a book. But even so, we need to be absolutely certain that we've got the key (laughs) details right. Yeah, because while there are some where I can say, Oh yes, okay. You know, that is what, you know, Elizabeth Bennett, you know, could look like or that is what, you know, Becky Sharp could look like. When I'm looking at a character like uh like Wang Xfen, who's from The Dream of the Red Chamber, which is one of the the big the uh, the big Chinese novels written 
late 1700s, I believe, uh, you know, which is a really famous Chinese novel. You know, this is a character where where I can't tell you what the picture of her should look like. Um, but Amy can, which is great. That is so interesting. And yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you're hiring consultants because oh, yeah. <laughs> that is very, very important. <laughs> well, we can't do it ourselves. You know, we just don't have the knowledge. And whereas yeah. our team, you know, the team does contain some people, you know, who have some of that knowledge, you know, a team of four people or five people, you know, can't stretch around the world like that. Yeah, definitely. That would be impossible. Yes, exactly. We can't have all of those heritages, you know. So we have what we have, you know, and we have to, you know, we have to look elsewhere for the advice on the others. Yeah. The other thing we're doing, particularly with uh, some of the characters' portraits, particularly the historic ones, to make sure that the, that we that we get them right, um, we're talking to a historian about that. Um, but we're also talking to to a group of teenagers. Um, so we've partnered with the Mary Seacole Trust, which is a UK charity here, who have kindly let us talk to their youth council, which is a group of teenagers. So we're talking to them about, okay, you know, how does this all look? You know, how do these characters look? Uh, you know, do these characters look like the sort of people you'd like to find out more about? Mm. Um, plus they're helping us get the the balance right between something which is fun and something which is too educational because we want it to be a game you know it's a game first and foremost yeah then it could be something that's fun as well uh, educational as well as fun but it has to be fun first yeah otherwise nobody's going to want to learn more about exactly yeah, exactly. We're not really making something that you want, you know, that you want a teacher to bring out or you want someone to get for a youth club and they go, <laughs> oh, do we have to play that? There are enough games like that already. You know, we want a game that people actually want to play, which, you know, which may have some educational value as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love it. What age range are you aiming for? So... We're aiming for adult mainly, but also for teenagers. You know, this isn't for, you know, this isn't for small children. Um, You know, so we're basically, we're aiming this at the gateway market mainly. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, Well, gateway plus, I suppose. You know, so we want it to scale. So particularly with the time tracker there that we've got it going, you know, that we've got X number of hours that you've got until all the monsters escape out of the library and, you know, that's it, you know, you've doomed the world. <laughs> you know, we want it to be something where where you can start it, you know, right at the beginning, you know, so you've got 12 hours, yay, great, you know, which I think will be suitable for people who haven't played many of these sort of games before. But we also want it to be something that people, you know, that those people who have played a fair number of games, that they will pick this up and go, okay, great. This might not be the main event of the evening, but this is a really good game, which is, you know, which is less than an hour where we can, you know, sit down, we can play it. It's a lot of fun. Let's just play it through. And then maybe we'll get on to playing something, you know, a bit heavier. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, how long does it usually take? It depends. You know, when you're using Tabletop Simulator, then of course it <laughs> takes longer, you know, because you always add on a bit for that. Oh, yeah. But you also take off a bit for whether people know the game or not. True. When it is a group of people, you know, say it's three people who know the game quite well, playing through Tabletop Simulator, then it takes just less than an hour. So I reckon that that is probably quite accurate for real life because the fact that we know it quite well is compensating for the the terribleness of tabletop simulator. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, it's that thing where you rotate a card or something and you're like, where is this card going? Oh no, it's gone in the other person's hand. Quick, get yeah. it back. Yeah. <laughs> Always add time for for the Lovely little quirks of tabletop simulator. 
But it is really good because it means that we can genuinely playtest games. You know, I've been yeah. doing some of the, uh, you know, the virtual playtesting, been going to some protospiels, and it's really nice to be able to playtest with real life people. Well, you know, not real life people, but, you know, to be able to playtest with people, you know, who are there at the other end of the, you know, the other side of the screen, you know, we're sharing this, this thing. I mean, this is so much better than playtesting, you know, just by yourself. It's, <laughs> I've been told stories of people who like literally get up and move from seat to seat or get like a lazy Susan that they can just like <laughs> rotate so that they can rotate the board and see it from different angles and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, now you can just upload it here. And you get to save money on printing out stuff and oh, then learning yes. like, oh, this whole entire board doesn't even work. Yes. So last month we went to a protospiel and you know, we went to a pro um to this protospiel online. It was really great, but we brought the game on, you know, we played it I think on Saturday morning or possibly Friday evening. And then we brought... Uh, a, basically, we changed a huge amount by Sunday morning. And we played <laughs> it again. And then we changed the whole ending because we discovered that what we had put in in order to try to mitigate uh, the alpha player tendency actually made it worse. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we'd put in something where we were like, okay, people, you've got to actually talk about the alpha playerness and you've got to make sure that, you know, so when it's so-and-so's go, then they are the lead player, but they can direct any players as they wish. And that actually didn't work because, you know, because people who were playing a little bit more robustly, you know, who weren't already, you know, friends or part of a team already, was sort yeah. of like, oh, well, hang on, I'm lead player, I'm just going to do all of this. You know, and then you've got other people who were saying, hey, you should move me, I want to be moved. You know, so you basically got the other players lobbying the lead player as to what they should do. Oh, no. <laughs> which, which was fair enough. It was useful to know that that didn't work. It was really yeah. useful to know that people actually slipped into this lobbying mode quite easily. That would be interesting to apply to a different game, you know, like that would actually, it sounds like it would, could be a fun mechanic for something mm. else. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but not a co-op game or like necessarily. Not a co-op game. I mean, actually, I, there's a half-finished prototype I've got that I want to bring back. And, you know, last week we had an election in the UK, which made me want to bring it back even more. You know, but there's a half-finished yeah. prototype I've got which is about uh, lobbying the other players, where you're all senior members of a political party, uh, which has just done very badly at an election, and your leader has stepped down. So you, the people, you know, the players around the table need to decide which of you becomes the next leader. But you all want to get votes from the other players. So you're trying to build up a manifesto, and then at the end of each turn, and there are like, you know, five or six turns or whatever, um, you have to vote for one of the other people at the table, stab one of the other people at the table at the back, and then give someone else a shield to protect them from somebody else stabbing them in the back. That game involves a lot of lobbying the other players and a lot of lobbying the leader who can give out the cards to you. And that's really interesting. That sounds fascinating. And it's kind of crazy. Like, I think, you know, well, the US has been in this bubble with, our past leadership uh yep. we won't get too political here but it's interesting like hearing how much uh like how many problems we share between our two countries like we you do. talk about like voter you know suppression and uh and all, uh, other things and i'm just like holy cow like i mm. guess that's everywhere you know we are we we are not in a good place i think i mean my personal view is very much that our democracy is getting worse, that it's disintegrating. You know, and I think, you know, we in the UK are going for stronger, more populist leaders. And that's really disappointing. You know, there are some other countries in Europe who are doing that as well. You know, Hungary's been going that way. But it is, yeah, it's really disappointing that 
that this seems to be a global problem. But unfortunately, yeah. I think that we're leading the way at the moment. Last year, it was you leading the way, and now it's us. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, it's not a prize anyone wants to have, is it? No, no. But I do like that you are using something fun to teach people about important issues, uh, whether that's something political or something that's just like, social or uh or you know like get to know all these strong female characters and non-binary characters like they exist and they're important exactly you know and there is so much that people can learn through games you know that it's a really good way of digging down into something and learning more about it you know supposing you want to learn about you know you want to learn about the economies of a particular system actually there are games for that you know, you want to learn about, you know, exactly how to, you know, produce things in a factory. I mean, not quite, you know, but there are games <laughs> where you do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get the premise of it. Exactly. There are also games that that kind of point you in different directions, you know. So there are games like Spirit Island, which obviously, you know, which, you know, which give you some of the feeling of the type of history which has been left out yeah that gives you the anti-colonial sense of it and i really like that yeah but there are games which do something much simpler you know so i went through a time when we had friends over for dinner sort of you know once every couple of weeks we had some friends over we'd play a game etc we were playing a lot of a flashpoint at that point Hmm. and And, you know, so that's a firefighting game. You know, it's a cooperative game. You know, you're getting people out of a burning building. That made me check my fire alarms more. (laughs) Genuinely, playing Flashpoint made me think, oh, I should check my fire alarms. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. I love it. (laughs) Well, it's so useful, you know, and things like that, you know, they influence us more than we think a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's just that little nudge of like, you know, this could happen. Maybe you should go check your fire alarm, you know, your smoke alarm, you know, where have you got it? Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm thinking, I'm like, oh gosh, we haven't done that since we moved into this house. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, uh, let, I'm going to, if I can talk right. Um, Usually near the end, we kind of dive a little bit away from board games and get mm-hmm. to know you beyond the the hobby. Yeah. So what do you do outside of board games? What do you like to do? Uh, what do I like to do? Um, well, apart from ranting about politics, which is obviously <laughs> my favorite hobby. Um, now, this is going to sound like it's trying to segue back into the board game, but I promise, no. No, I enjoy a lot of reading. <laughs> I oh, really nice. do. Um, you know, so I'm a fairly quick reader and I do like a good classic. Um, you know, I was recently reading The Moonstone, uh, which is Wilkie Collins, and that's, you know, yeah, that that's a good classic. Um, when I was on maternity leave with my firstborn, who's nearly five, um, then I think I read most of the Agatha Christie's. Yeah, that was it's quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they're so easy and despite the fact, you know, that they're murder mysteries, they're also quite comforting. Oh, you know, really? There's a certain world they invoke. You know, you know somebody's going to get murdered, but you also know that it's going to be fine and that, you know, Poirot or Miss Marple or someone is going to come along and sort it all out and it'll be fine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's the same thing with like uh TV shows where it's like, okay, at the beginning of a CSI episode, I know someone's going to get murdered, you know, and but then it's all going to be fine because yeah. they're going to they're going to sort it out, you know, the guy with the sunglasses, it's going to come along, and exactly, just, and make it right. <laughs> Everything is good. <laughs> exactly, justice. justice is done. Finally, nobody <laughs> escapes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's definitely that element to it. 
a fair amount of gardening at the moment, you know, so it's growing oh. season here. Yeah, we have a tiny, tiny little allotment around the corner, which is very nice and is mainly filled with strawberries. And the strawberries mm. get eaten. I think last year we had about three strawberries off these entire plants. You'd see this strawberry growing, you know, the flower would come up, the strawberry would grow, it would be nice, it would be green, it would be lovely. You'd see it just turning red and then you'd go back the next day and there would be this sort of blob and a bit of stalk and you'd think, I wonder what got that. Oh, no. (laughs) Mainly slugs, I think, actually. (laughs) nature nature got it (laughs) that's rough though at least it's nature and not like neighbors just coming and stealing your strawberries (laughs) that's true (laughs) the raspberries don't get eaten funnily enough you know we do get a lot of raspberries and some black currants where uh where in the uk are you so i'm in reading which is just to the west of london okay it's about half an hour on a fast train We've had a cup, or I've had, I'm used to having a co-host still. Uh, <laughs> I've had a couple of people from the UK. And so like the other day I was actually looking through. So I know exactly where Reading is. Excellent. You know where I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the only places, because that for some reason it caught my eye. Yeah. But... Well, it's um, pretty convenient for Games Expo, which of course is going to be in the end of July this year which is in Birmingham and it's about I think it's just over an hour on a train no it must be less than an hour on a train actually to Birmingham I mean certainly last time I went to Games Expo I was going as a punter rather than going as a you know a stool holder or anything and um yeah and last time I went to Games Expo then I went up for a couple of days, but I didn't book a hotel or anything, you know, because I just went on the train and came back, you know, that evening and it was fine. Yeah. What do you do on that long of a train ride? Um, well, normally I read, actually. Oh, OK. I'll take something. I'll take a paperback or something. That makes sense. We yeah. don't have like a lot of trains or or anything here. Ah. See, I used to commute into London. Um, you know, I used to commute into London and that was, that was a half hour, 35 minute, uh, train journey, uh, twice a day, you know, there and back every day. So, you know, the idea of sitting on a train for a while is pretty normal. You know, you get used to it. Yeah. You normally take a magazine. In fact, I'm trying to think there was a time in my life a few years ago, pre kids when I lived in North London and I had a commute of um, 30 minutes run, you know, so it was about 50 minutes walk, you know, an hour walk, or it was Mm -hmm. 30 minutes jogging. And that was really good. I really enjoyed that. But for most of the rest of my working life, I've had a, a, a train commute of some sort or another. Do people not drive as much there? You wouldn't drive into central London. I mean, you certainly can. I mean, so, uh, so I, I'm just trying to think. So I don't own a car. So we're a no car household, which admittedly is a little bit strange uh, here in Reading, but it's perfectly normal for being in the centre of London. You know, so people who live fairly close to the centre of the city would not have a car, probably. So okay. we hire a. Uh, there's a community car scheme where you can hire a car for, you know, for a day every now and again. You know, so we're signed up to that. And hmm. we probably we probably uh, hire that car perhaps once every month or two months, you know, to go and do things. Yeah. It depends where you are. When you're in more rural areas in the UK, then it is kind of necessary to have a car. But if you're living in, you know, relatively close into the centre of a town, you may well not have a car. We have very high density housing, particularly for well, thinking about it from a from an American perspective, most of our towns probably have sort of the same density you'd find in somewhere like New York City. Okay. Yeah, so it's really high density. We have an awful lot of Victorian terraces, you know, so their houses built a hundred years ago which are 
They tend to only be two stories high. Some are three stories high, but they're quite narrow, you know, and you get them sitting side by side and you've got sort of long, narrow gardens out the back. Hmm. Which, which you can actually fit quite a lot of, you know, quite a lot of those houses into a street with that. I was thinking of New York. I was like, well, I guess here in the States, you know, New York is that equivalent of, of London. Uh, but mm-hmm. because it's like you hear about people who are in their 50s and, or 60s and, and they're like, I've never owned a car. I've never I don't even have a driver's license because why yeah. would I? You know, like, <laughs> so that does make sense. Yes, I think it's that actually we have much less of a suburban culture. Certainly there are, you know, there are suburbs, but they're not quite as sprawling as in the US. So my grandfather lived in Idaho for most of his life and my mum had cousins uh, living somewhere in L.A., you know, so I've been out to a few houses. I mean, actually, I haven't been to the States for about 15 years, possibly more, you know, but I've been to some actual, you know, some actual houses in different parts of the States, if that makes sense. And I definitely got the sense that I think that in the UK, towns are just more compact. Land is at a premium. So most of them, you know, you will get far more of the terraces and the semi-detached. So most people won't have a detached house. While most people won't live in a flat either, you know, except in the centre of cities, you'll have far more of these really kind of squashed together houses, hmm. which I personally really like, actually. You know, we're moving from one terrace to a bigger terrace. Yeah. Yeah, but a kind of townhouse type equivalent. Okay. In fact, yeah. that's what it is, that we've got whole towns made up of townhouses, <laughs> some of which are very small townhouses. You that know, is wild. It, it, yeah, think of you know, think of sort of some of those really old. You know, what are they? Are they brownstone houses? Is that the sort yeah. of thing I'm talking about? I think I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, kind of you know, townhouses where they're all kind of squashed in together, and normally those are quite you know quite posh houses. But think of those, but much smaller, lots well, of much smaller ones. Yeah, I'm picturing. Uh, Sherlock, like the BBC yeah. show. Yeah, absolutely. His place is like so narrow. Yeah, that's pretty normal. <laughs> <laughs> but they're beautiful. Way prettier than any apartment I ever lived in. <laughs> well, when you talk about, you know, people talk about tiny homes, you know, and they say, oh, I've got this tiny home and it's this. And I'm like, that's a tiny home? I mean, it's <laughs> it's smaller than my home. You know, my, you know, so my house wouldn't, I don't think my house classes as a tiny home. I'm not entirely sure how many square feet it is because we do it in meters. You yeah. Know? But I'm living in something which is, uh, which is admittedly a bit small, but it's, it's 65 square meters, which okay. is, it's definitely under 700 square feet. Yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, one meter is like just under three feet. Uh, just over three feet. Is it just yeah, over? Oh, just okay. over three feet. Yeah. See, no. <laughs> it's so dumb that we even have the imperial system. Why? Why? There's only like three countries that use it. Well, it's interesting that you have it and you keep the whole lot, whereas we have this very strange halfway house. Um, so I definitely, you know, so. So I definitely measure the room in meters, you know, uh-huh. and I measure, you know, and I measure the dis. So, okay, get this. The <laughs> distance to my daughter's school is probably about 200 meters. But the distance into town, the center of town, that's about a mile. What? And that's genuinely the way I'm thinking. And it's the way most UK people would think. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like you know you the milk which comes from uh the milkman you know we get a milkman deliver you know glass bottles of milk and uh-huh. you know, they're outside our doorstep that comes in pints but if i go into the shop and pick up milk uh, or, actually no i would pick up milk from the shop in pints normally but i'd pick up a liter of orange juice weird 
It's really bizarre. So it's, it's just kind of like a mix of different ones. It's a really, yes. And I would weigh myself using stones and pounds and ounces. I mean, clearly not to the ounce. But I would then go and buy something online and it would tell me, you know, the weight of the thing I'd bought. It would tell me in grams, kilos and grams. Weird. In fact, one of the weirdest things is that that is changing. So I'm in my late 30s and I am one of the last to use, you know, to really use pounds for weight. So when my children were born, then I noticed that parents who were younger than me, you know, significantly younger, like, you know, five or 10 years younger than me, were talking about their children's weights using grams. Whereas Hmm. I would be talking about it using pounds. Yeah. It was really interesting. (laughs) I wonder where, how that all came to be. Well, there needs to be a generational shift somewhere, I suppose. And it happens to be ours. (laughs) It's, it's, but yeah, it is really strange, you know, and those people I know who are, who have technical scientific jobs tend to be further down the metric scale. So they, so they'll tend to weigh themselves, you know, using kilos rather than using stone, you know, and they'll measure themselves using centimeters. Um, Yeah. That's one of those things which I think in as both, you know, I know that I'm five foot three, but I also know um, that I'm 156 centimeters. See, you're more versatile than me. I, I couldn't tell you how many centimeters I am. 20? No, I'm just, I know it's way <laughs> higher than that. <laughs> it's like, I should learn that. And I should learn my weight in uh, kilos too, or, you know, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Basically, a yard is a meter. I mean, not quite exactly. Well, but I don't even know a yard that well. Like, when I think of a yard, I only, the only time I use yard is like for football. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) But it's, you know, but three feet. Three feet is a meter. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So if somebody is, well, it's, it's not quite, you know, three feet is like 93 centimeters or something. So if somebody is six foot, uh, tall, then they're about 185 centimeters. Yeah. So I, uh, as kind of some bonus episodes for this, we're playing a tabletop RPG and, and one of the people's from Wales and one's mm-hmm. from Seattle, I guess two of them, it's a couple from Wales. Uh, and so I'll start describing things in feet and then I'm like, oh, wait, like, hang on, what is that? <laughs> meter? Yeah. And so then we ended up just saying like, you know what? We're just going to say squares, like, and so we just came to the universal term of squares, which is like a meter and a half or three feet. Yeah, (laughs) whatever it needs to be. (laughs) (laughs) Or a meter and a half or five feet. So it's just like, that's roughly. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) That way we can just say that it's universal. (laughs) This is the trouble about, you know, going across, you know, across countries. You, exactly. know, you may not have language barriers, although sometimes you do and you find out that there are all sorts of things that you never knew were a different mm-hmm. word. That happens pretty often. Luckily, I'm listening to like a podcast from over there. And, and so I'm kind of picking up on little phrases and whatnot and <laughs> interviewing people. There's been times where people will go like, oh, I'm chafed or chuffed. And I'm just like... I have to stop the interview and be like, what does this mean? What what are you saying? (laughs) Did I upset you? (laughs) It's all in the tone. It's all in the tone. (laughs) True. Yeah. (laughs) You can generally tell. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> we went a little over time, but that's we great. Did. I don't mind. That's fine. You can, you know, you can make of that whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I may edit some a bit of this out, but <laughs> so uh, why don't you plug where you can be found? Social media, mm. website, all that stuff. So you can find me on Twitter, uh, Descent Games. You can find me on Instagram, although I'm not very good at Instagram, I'm afraid. Uh, that's also Descent Games. 
And you can find us on Facebook. Search for Library Labyrinth. That's where we can be found on Facebook. But there's also a website. Yes, a website with newsletters, which I endeavour to keep vaguely up to date. That is uh, librarylabyrinth.com. So, yes, please come and check us out. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking your time and, and hanging out with me. No, it was fun. It was an excellent evening. <laughs> Good. Oh, yeah, it's evening for you. It's afternoon for it's me. It's evening. It's dark <laughs> here. I'm sitting here in the dark, and I've got a new mouse, which has all this exciting light thing going on. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, yeah, this is a relatively cheap gamer mouse, so it likes to show off its colors. But it gives you the feel of like being in a club. Right. Of course, yeah. It's It's got that sort of cracked effect on the top where you've got the colours showing through the paint. And it's oh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm 14 years old again. <laughs> <laughs> Love Although, it. clearly, they didn't have these sort of mice when I was 14 years old. When I was no. 14 years old, we had the dial tone. <laughs> yeah. <And then laughs> One the computer. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that little, you know, the little... Uh, the, the uh, the little red red racing or whatever it was yeah which was the one computer game we had loaded up on the computer oh man <laughs> my parents were computer programmers they did oh, not really? like they they did not like to take their work home so we, so in fact we got computers at home later than most of my friends oh no <laughs> that's sad <laughs> uh, it's all fine yeah <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at NerdOutWithUs. If you enjoyed the show, I would absolutely adore you if you left a review on wherever you're listening to us from. Reviews help podcasts to be seen more. So if I've got more reviews on there, then that's going to catch the eyes of more people. So if you'd like to do that, I would super duper appreciate it. If there's anybody that you would like to hear on the show, someone in the board game community, no matter how big, no matter how small, let me know. You can at me and we can, I'll reach out to them and see if they want to come on. If it's you, that'll be even easier because then I can just be like, yeah, when you want to come on. All right, folks, thanks so much, and until next time, keep nerding out.